Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast with Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire, back to Lafleur. Oh! The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. You're in the fall! Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle, une passe devant. Et c'est la mauvaise! C'est la mauvaise! Ce sera la victoire des Canadiens! pour les Canadiens! Le 23ème de l'histoire! You found the dogs! John, you found the dogs! He found the dogs! And all together, they worked the young team to the top. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground. Your premier gaming destination. It's going to be sick. Marinero, the sick podcast on this Thursday, January 25th. It is one minute past 10 p.m. Eastern. And yes, once again, the sick podcast is brought to you in part by Energy Transportation Group, recently named by Deloitte and CIBC as one of Canada's best managed companies, the country's leading business award, recognizing innovative, and world-class companies, the best-managed Canadian companies designation fuels Energy's purpose of creating progress for their customers, their employees, and their communities. Join a winning team and check out Energy's career page for available opportunities. Also brought to you by these guys right here, and that is Labitta TV, brewed in Quebec and a winner of dozen international awards. Labitta TV offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. Labitta TV, embrace your true nature. Also brought to you in part by Playground. Discover a world of luxury at Playground. Explore their new 30,000-square-foot expansion with thrilling games, gourmet dining, and live entertainment located just over the Mercier Bridge. Only minutes from downtown Montreal Playground. Playground, experience the strip without the trip. And also brought to you in part, of course, by Accent Insurance Solutions. All insurance isn't created equal. And you know where to find the right solution for you. That is at Accent Insurance. Accent doesn't sell insurance. They shop insurance for you to find the right product, right on the money, whatever your insurance needs, home, automobile, or business. And if you uh, take a look at their phone number, you'll think of my buddy Sergio Momesso, number 36. The number to call is 514-363-3636. It's a special night, and it was a special day in Montreal with Patrick Roy returning to the Bell Center, of course, this time as head coach of the New York Islanders, coaching his third game with the Islanders. One win in his first game, a loss in his second game. And how was tonight going to go? Well, it turned out to be a loss for Patrick. I will say this, they're involved in a lot of one-goal games, I'll tell you that. This game tonight had absolutely everything. A lot of goals, a lot of saves, penalties, power play goals. Um, it, it just, it had everything. And uh, so a special day. A special night for Leroy Patrick. It calls for a special podcast. That's why I sent the text message over to Pierre Maguire. And he gladly accepted the invitation or accepted the invitation. I'm glad that he did. Pierre, how are you? I'm excellent. I gladly accepted the invitation. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Pierre. I appreciate it. 
Pierre, it was uh, once again, it was a game that had everything. Uh, we saw, of course, a nice touch by the Montreal Canadiens. A lot of people were wondering when Patrick was going to be acknowledged. And the Canadians chose to do it right when they were singing, of course, O Canada. Uh, you saw the crowd went nuts. Patrick, the entire time, said, I don't want to make this about me. Pierre, unless he's putting on a tremendous act, I have to tell you that the way he has conducted himself yesterday in answering questions about coming to Montreal and earlier today in front of members of the media, it seems to me that Patrick Waugh has evolved since his first coaching stint in the National Hockey League. Oh, there's no question. He certainly has now evolved socially. Yes, evolved composure-wise. So far, so good. With the media, outstanding. All great points by you, Tony. I think the one thing that hasn't evolved in a negative way but a positive way, sense of how to run a team and how to run a bench under control with composure. So he's he's doing a tremendous job. Uh, listen, I know what Coach Lamorello said. I, I, I'm a good friend. I really respect him. And he said, you know, I had a good. we have a good roster here. We've built a good team. I don't know how great the roster is. I think the roster is okay. I don't think it's great. They're not a super fast team. They're not a super deep team. You see when they don't have Casey Sezikis, they can't roll their four-line attack. That causes some problems for them. So, you know, if they don't have the goaltending, you talked about it perfectly, Tony. One goal games, all three of them for Patrick to start his three-game tenure so far. But really, if you think about it, they should have lost to Dallas too. If it's not for yeah. elite goaltending uh, from Ilya Sorokin, they lose that game handily to the Dallas Stars. So, really, they're one and two right now. They should be 0-3. And, and it, again, it speaks to what I was talking about. Tony, I'm not sure the roster's as good as what Mr. Lamorello thinks. But if it wasn't for Samuel Montembeau, could they not have won this game tonight? Montembeau, I thought, was fantastic. It's odd that he didn't pick up a star in this hockey game. I thought he was really good. You're right on. He was really good. But you look at it, it's a 3 nothing game. And how does the game swing? A bad penalty by Jack Guy. Terrible penalty by Brendan Gallagher. He's getting suspended for that hit, Tony. You know, I don't know what the people have told you so far, but... That was graphic. That That is exactly what the league wants to get rid of. So really what put the Islanders back in a position to get in this game? Terrible penalties by the Canadians. And, and Tony, I don't know. I'm watching it at home and I'm watching all the other games too. But I don't think after Jack I took his penalty in the second period, if he ever touched the ice again. And so the Canes are playing shorthanded to begin with on the back end. And then you compound that by taking Jordan Harris out and putting Jack Guy in. And then Jack Guy doesn't get a shift the rest of the game after he takes a penalty in the second period. That's a tough game to play. Pierre, um, I, I'm convinced one of the reasons why Jack Guy was sent down to the Laval Rocket over a month ago was there was a game versus the Tampa Bay Lightning where mm -hmm. he got into a fight with Tanner Janot. Yeah. It didn't quite yeah. go his way. And he wanted to get back at Janot late in the game. The Canadians were down 4 nothing. They had scored two goals. They make it 4-2. They're mounting a comeback. They're trying to, they got some adrenaline going. They got some momentum going. And Jackai goes out and he settles a score with Janot and ends up taking a penalty. And uh, Marty St. Louis wasn't happy about it. And at the end of the game, he talked about picking your spots. And, um, and you know, j later on, Jackai ends up going down to Laval. He takes a lot of penalties, Pierre. He, he played real well in Laval, but I, I take a look at the two penalties he took tonight. He took one in period number one, and he took one in period number two. The one in period number one, um, 
he gets beat by Holmstrom, I believe, at, at the was. Islanders' blue line, who strips him of the puck. He takes off. I don't think there's any need for him to take the penalty that he took. Uh, and so he takes that one. And then the one in period number two, you know, Barzell's trying, he's, he's, he's trying to cut into the middle and, and Jack guy just lifts his hands and just, you know, pushes him in the face and pushes him down. And I don't know why he had to do that either, but you know, and it's not to bring Jack guy down, but I don't see Jaden Struble doing this. He's got much more control of his body and plays a much more disciplined game. As a matter of fact, I thought Struble was very good tonight. He was. He, he's been very good for the Kings. Listen, I've been watching Jaden Struble since he played at St. Sebastian's before he went to Northeastern University, and I watched him play at Northeastern a ton. Um, but I watched him play in prep school a ton. I saw him play summer hockey a ton. And one thing that I was always concerned about was his temper, and I believe he still has one, uh, and his composure and his discipline. And I can tell you right now, Ken Hughes has sat down with him and talked to him, and you can see, I'm sure Marty St. Louis has as well, um, and it's worked. And Jaden has listened, and I give him full credit. I'm really impressed by the way he's become a, a really solid, reliable NHL defenseman, Tony. Jack guy needs a little bit of the same. I mean, you know, Jaden Struble had a chance when he was a young player to be a drafted player, and people had high expectation for him. He's starting to find it. Jaden or uh, Jack guy was never drafted. He's a free agent. He's an amazing story. But he's got to find some form of discipline, and he's got to get coachable. He really does. You know, Pierre, uh, Jack guy has um, a, an element to his game and a facet to his game that maybe other Canadians defensemen don't have, and I get that. You and I have talked about this before. It's been brought up, the possibility of Jack guy as a winger. Some people like the idea. Some people laugh at the idea. I don't know why they laugh. There's been a bunch of defensemen in that mold who have ended up playing as a winger. The Canadians have been looking for a fourth line with an identity that has some kind of energy. You talked about the New York Islanders. Casey Sezikis, when he's healthy with Cal Clutterbuck and, and, uh, and Matt Martin, uh, they're a, a prototypical energy line that Lula Morello, I'm sure, loves to have because he had a prototypical energy line when he was general manager of the New Jersey Devils. Um, in your opinion, this, because there's two schools of thought on a fourth line. There's some teams that like to roll four lines that can play hockey and that have some kind of skill or maybe um, spread out the, the the talent. And there's other teams that like to have two offensive lines, a shutdown line, and an energy line, which is something that we saw 20 and 30 years ago. Some teams still adopt that philosophy. What's your philosophy in 2024? I, I want to have a line a little bit like the smash line you're talking about in New Jersey with Bobby Holik centering it, uh, creating all kinds of havoc. Mike Peluso was on that line. Randy McKay was on that line. And, and they just created all kinds of physical mayhem. And they also had skill. If you watch Clutterbuck, Martin, and Zika's play, Tony, and I know you do, you know how much they influence a game. They cause a lot of havoc, especially when Zika's is playing. They win faceoffs, they get pucks deep, they body slam the opposition, they plant a seed of doubt in the opposition defensemen's uh, minds. Um, so, no, I think you need to have that. I think you're going to see – I'll use an example of a player that most fans wouldn't even know. Brandon Duhame. Watch Brandon Duhame play for the Minnesota Wild. He creates havoc whenever he's on the ice. He's a very valuable player for that team. And I think it's something that when you watch them play, 
they're trying to cultivate more and more of that and they're different teams uh miles wood most people are like miles wood why would he go to colorado as a free agent why would colorado because they need that identity that physical identity that can skate and create mayhem without taking penalties so those guys matter a lot and i would rather have that kind of fourth line I saw Raphael Harvey Pinard on the fourth line tonight. If we can bring up the lines, as a matter of fact, I think we have him here for Agnello, Sammy, and Juliana. Master Control, if you can bring them up. Do we have them? Yes, we do. Suzuki centering Anderson on the right and Caulfield on the left. Monaghan centering Armia on the right and Slavkowski on the left. Evans with Gallagher on the right and Pearson on the left. Condotta, who was called up from the Laval Rocket, uh, with uh, RHP on the right and Pizet on the left, Matheson, Gouldy, Struble, Savard, Jackai, Kovacevic, and Montembeau, of course, got the starting goal. Let's keep the lineup up if we can, please. Um, I, Raphael RV Pinard, I think I've seen him on every single line thus far this season. Unfortunately for him, he was out for an extended period of time with an injury, but he's been up and down the lineup. And, you know, uh, we've had Maxim Lapierre on the show on several occasions. He wanted mm-hmm. to see Raphael RV Pinard start the season on the number one line with Suzuki and Caulfield. And I said, no, Max, I just can't see that happening. And he said, why not? And I said, well, I, I just, I don't think he's at that level to play with those two guys. And he said, and he brought up the example of Alex Burroughs playing with the Sedins, of course, and Pascal Dupree playing with Sidney Crosby, and it's a very, very good point. Mm-hmm. But, Pierre, I, I like Harvey Pinard more down the lineup where I, I think, you know, he, he works real hard, but you can limit his minutes, and for, for him, I think less is more. Where do you see him in the lineup? And he's got the energy to play on a fourth line, but does his size or lack thereof concern you at all for a fourth-line energy player? No, because he's about the same size as Casey Sezikis when you look at it size-wise for size-wise. Uh, I like that fourth line when they were going. They didn't get a lot of ice time with Pizzetta, Condotta, and Harvey Pinard. I thought Condotta did a real nice job. I watched them play at the University of Maine – or University of Massachusetts at Lowell, excuse me, uh, before the Canes signed him as an undrafted player. Um, he's done his chores down in Laval and merited this opportunity. They need size down the middle. Monahan's not a real big guy. Suzuki's not big. Evans isn't big. So you bring that guy and he's a big body. Pizzetta knows exactly what he needs to do. And I think Harvey Pinard fits in very well with them. Now, tonight, the one thing that I thought was really impressive, Jake Evans logged almost 20 minutes of his time in that game. Tony had to <clears throat> because of all the penalty killing. He's yeah. playing with a grit factor that when the Canes drafted him in the seventh round before he went to Notre Dame, they weren't counting on that grit factor. He was a real slick offensive player. He's become a gritty guy and a very useful player. It reminds me a little. Remember Dave Hannon that played in the National Hockey League? Of course, yeah. It reminds me a little bit of David Hannon, um, Jake Evans. And so that's and I say that as a compliment. But with Harvey Pinard, I think he fits in real well with the Canes. If you see where their lineup is and and what he can do, and and he can be a specialist. He can be a guy that can get you offense as a deeper player in the lineup. Let's bring up the score sheet if we can. All right, so in period number one, 7.06 in, a power play goal uh, for Nick Suzuki. This is as good as I've seen the Canadians pass the puck around on a power play. If memory serves me well, I think it went from Suzuki to Caulfield to Matheson to Monaghan to Slavkowski to Suzuki. Like... Pretty that's close. the best I've 
<laughs> you were saying spot on. You're, you're spot yeah. on. The, the thing yeah. that impressed me the most is Monaghan in the bumper position on that play, and he moved it real quick to Slavkowski, and Slavkowski didn't dust it off. He gets it right across the crease to Suzuki who puts it in. I, I thought it was a tremendous power play goal. Really good. It's the fastest I've seen them move the puck, Pierre. I mean, they were just – they were – and, you know, you, you you talked about the New York Islanders. I want to get back there. We'll keep the score sheet up if we can. You know, you talked about their uh, their their lineup and what kind of team they have. I mean – uh, everyone would love to have a Barzal and a Brock Nelson at the center ice position. There's no doubt about it. And maybe even a John Gabriel Peugeot was that one of those shutdown players. Mm-hmm. But I, I agree with you, Pierre. Um, I don't think they're as good as a lot of people think they are. I think they lack depth. Um, I don't think they have a lot of scoring on the wings. But more importantly, I don't think they're very good defensively. I can understand why Lou Lamorello made the coaching change because defensively, this team makes a lot of mistakes. I mean, case in point, uh, was A, the Caulfield goal, which gives the Canadians a 2 nothing lead. It's a turnover in their zone. And the game-winning goal ends up being another turnover. Two different players, two turnovers, costly turnovers in their zone. And I, I think it was, uh, was it Bulldog on the Caulfield one who made a real bad pass to Aho, put him in a bad spot, and it gets picked off by Suzuki who finds Caulfield and those quick hands in close. But, Pierre, their defensive game is a nightmare. It is. Pierre Engvall, by the way, was a turnover on the game-winning goal for Montreal, and that, yeah. that was just that was ludicrous. I was listening to Mike Johnson uh, do the color commentary for uh, for TSN, and he was spot on. Uh, the truth of the matter is that Engvall can't make that play at that time of the game. You've been down three, nothing in the game. You come back and you tie the game at three, and then you make a turnover like that in your own zone. It's just it's unacceptable. So there are lots of things that are ailing them. The other thing, no Ryan Pollock. Ryan Pollock's a really important part of that team. Dobson had to play the whole five-minute power play. You know, how much is he going to have left in the tank? And so you, you look at it. If Pollock was healthy, he'd be playing there. Dobson less minutes. Uh, Dobson's had a tremendous year. He's going to the All-Star game for the Islanders. He's going to have a chance to probably be one of the nominees for the uh, for the Norris Trophy if he stays healthy. He's had a tremendous year. But all that being said, you're right. So the Islanders used to have this great defensive identity, especially under Barry Trotz. They don't have that anymore. The goaltending covers up a lot of their defensive foibles and weaknesses. Um, so it, it's a problem. And and that's why I said I know and I respect Lamarell a lot. But when I saw his quote that the, when Lane Lambert was let go, that the roster is actually really good, I I respectfully say that it's 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 an okay roster, but it's not really good. It's just it's not really good. Pierre, on Monaghan's goal to give the Canadians a 3-0 lead, 12-19 into the hockey game on the power play, uh, Mike Matheson picks up the puck behind his own net. Montembeau touches it, gives it to him. Matheson says, okay, I'm going to carry this in myself. Uh, He goes wide down the right side. He went around Romanov, who who, there was little resistance from him, and then he tucks it in front to Monaghan. It's a bang-bang play. I want to talk to you about Romanov, who is a player that Lou Lamorello picked up, of course, uh, in part of that deal with the Canadians and Kirby Dock and the Chicago Blackhawks, that three-way trade. Mm-hmm. I wasn't overly impressed with his game, Pierre. Um, I mean, I saw a guy who wants to go out there and take the body, yes, but his defensive awareness and the decision-making didn't blow me away. No, I don't think it's blown me away all year either. I've watched most of their games. Um 
And I think one of the big problems is, is that he does go for the KOs. He goes for the big hits. And, and a lot of times he's leaning forward rather than just being positioned properly. And he gets beat a lot off the neutral zone uh, rush. He really does. And that's one of his biggest foibles is that he does get beat through the neutral zone because he's just trying to be over aggressive. All right. Okay. Let's continue back with the score sheet and let's go on to the next period. Three, uh, three, nothing for the Canadians after period number one, Bo Horvat uh, gets one back on a power play in period number two. And then they go to period number three. And of course, with eight Oh eight left in regulation, Brendan Gallagher takes a really bad penalty. That's an elbow to the head of Pellick. I totally agree with you, Pierre. That's a suspension if I ever saw one. And Matthew Barzal with that right-handed shot on the left side, he goes top corner on Montembeau. Paul Mieri, uh, what is it, about a minute and a half later, also on that power play, he's there, he's, 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 he's jamming in front, and he gets a couple of whacks at it. He ties the game at three, much to the light of Patrick Waugh, who gives the fist pump, and he's all animated only for Sean Monaghan to come back and score the game winner a minute and 20 seconds later off of that Engvall giveaway, which goes from uh, Caulfield to Anderson to Monaghan, and he rifles it from the slot. Pierre, Sean Monaghan finishes this game uh, with 17 minutes and 22 seconds, two goals, one assist, three points. He's a plus one. Yeah, He's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. The fan base is absolutely divided. You know, everyone loves him. No one's divided on that. Everyone loves Sean Monaghan. He seems like a great guy. He's a real good team player. He gives you an honest effort, and he can play a 200-foot game. Everyone loves that. Uh, What they're not divided on is whether to keep him or not because at the same time, there's a lot of teams that probably think that they could be a Sean Monaghan away from going far in the playoffs. Uh, he could be a you know a quality third line centerman on a team uh, pushing for the Stanley Cup with the versatility that he can play wing as well, can play power play, can play penalty kill. I look at it and I say, by the Monahan's going to want to cash in. He's probably going to want a five year deal, maybe because it's going to be the last contract of his career. I don't know if he's going to get it because there's been some injuries over the last couple of years. He's probably going to want to have a chance at the Stanley Cup. I mean, he's not going to have that here in in the next couple of years. At least you wouldn't think so. And you're going to get, I think, a first-round pick for this player and more. Correct me if I'm wrong, Pierre. So I'm looking at dealing him, but I'm taking a a lot of heat tonight because after his three assists, people are messaging me on all social media platforms and saying, you still want to trade him, Tony? And I'm like, yes, yes. Your thoughts? Well, here's the thing that I think the fans need to think about. By the time the Canadians are relevant and really in the Stanley Cup chase, Sean Monaghan's career is going to be over, I think. So, and I mean, I don't mean any disrespect to Sean. You know, he's had a tremendous career to date. I watched him play for the Ottawa 67s when he was a kid. He was a phenomenal, phenomenal player. He had some really good years, obviously, in Calgary. But he's worth more to the organization traded away than he is going to be to them playing with them. Because as Tony correctly says, he's going to be looking for five years. He's probably going to be looking for well over $5 million a year. Um, It's just, it doesn't make sense. So you move the player along and I can tell you there's studies, you can go look it up where players after 28 years of age in the national hockey league. Now they're not rising. They're dropping. 
And the problem is a lot of these guys are getting monster contracts and it's killing teams on the cap. It's just killing them. So I think the most prudent thing to do with Monaghan is his value is never going to be higher. And so you start to build up even more of an auction situation so that the Canadians reap, I don't know, probably two or three different components for the player. And that, that would be a massive uh, stroke of luck for the Canadians. It really would be. Yeah. Pierre, the league's never been younger and it's never been faster. Right. You know, I, I, I go to so many college games and, and I watch so many different games in the American League and the NHL. And I Rick Dudley's a very, very good scout, one of the best there is. And he's he's all over the place. And last week I saw him in a building in central New York and we were watching the same game. And after the first period, we both looked at each other and said, this is ridiculous how fast this is. Now, this was a college game. That speed that Tony's talking about translates from the college game to the American Hockey League and then to the NHL. So he even said to me, he goes, if I didn't know any better, I'd swear that was an NHL game because of the speed. And so that's that's the issue. What Tony's talking about is so correct. The game has never been played faster. And I just want to leave you with one more thing. We had a reunion with our Stanley Cup winning teams in Pittsburgh not that long ago. And we were watching some tape of our team and celebrating. And I spent some time with, with Mario Lemieux and, and Scotty Bowman and Mario looked at us and he said, you know, I, I watched so many games. I still love watching the game. I think we were one of the only teams from that generation that could actually play in today's game because our team was so fast. We were really fast on, but he said a lot of the teams from our vintage or that year, that era, they wouldn't even have been playing today because they just weren't fast enough. And even a great player like Mario would acknowledge that. <laughs> I take a look at what uh, Pierre, what the Canadians got uh, and Kent Hughes got in the Ben Sherrod deal. I yeah. take a look at what he got in the Tyler Toffoli deal. And I say, those are the reasons why you have to trade Sean Monaghan. I think you couldn't be more right. You know, people wonder about why is Calgary hit or miss right now going like this? Think about all the players that have either left there for nothing or have been traded for yeah. less than market value. Do you think they'd like a redo on the Matthew Kachuk trade? Would they like a redo on the Sam Bennett trade? Would they like to have Johnny Goudreau back without losing him for nothing? You start looking at it now. So they're in a predicament because their best player, Lindholm, is going to be, Elias Lindholm is going to be a potential unrestricted free agent. And then look at their defense. They've got two guys on the back end that have a chance to be unrestricted free agents. So I'm just, you can't get into a situation like Calgary's gotten themselves into. And so it's really prudent to move players at the right time, um, understanding the situation that your team is in at this point. And Montreal, I think, knows exactly where their team is. If you could pick up the phone and call one team and say, hey, your team really needs Sean Monaghan more than probably any other team in the league, which team? Do you think that would be Boston Bruins? I think the Boston Bruins, not Montreal and Boston don't normally do a lot of deals. Um, but if I were, which the one Boston, was the last one, be, Pierre? What's that? Which one was the last one? Oh, I don't, was not, was it Knuckles Nyland? I don't even know. I, you know there's what? one that comes to my mind. Was Eric Weinrich in one of them? For Patrick Traverse. For Patrick Vent. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I knew Wino yeah. might have been in there. I, I think the world of Eric. Eric's doing great work, by the way. He's working for the New Jersey Devils now in their uh, player development. Really? I've seen him in a lot of different places doing a good job. But anyways, um, I would just say this. 
if you look at no Patrice Bergeron, no David Krejci, and you look at the way a lot of their players are really responding, especially Charlie Coyle, I think he's the most improved player in the league. Think about adding Monaghan as, like you said, a third-line center there, uh, or even putting him on the wing and, and putting him on the second power play there. That, that changes the dynamic of the Boston Bruins a lot. And I don't think they have to give up a roster player to get them. I think they just give up a prospect, and I think they give up maybe two draft picks. And I, But I don't think that'll happen. But if you were to ask me yeah. one team that could use them, I would say Boston. And I agree with you, Perrin. With, uh, with all due respect to, to Charlie Coyle, who's been fantastic this season, but for the most part – we're, t- we're talking about a guy who's who's been on the third line for many, many years. And yeah. Pavel Zaka, with all due respect to them, if I'm Jim Montgomery and I'm going into the playoffs with them, it would make me feel a heck of a lot better if I had a Sean Monaghan, who probably on several nights will end up being my number one centerman and not my number three. So we agree, and that's why that's one team. Another team I'd think about um, if I were doing it uh, would probably be Vancouver because I think they're for real and I think they can overwhelm teams. And you add a player like that who knows the West too, by the way, he played all his years in Calgary. Um, I think in Vancouver, he could make a difference as well. So those would probably be the two teams where I think the best fit is, but we'll see. Yeah. Pierre, it's a couple of games now that Josh Anderson is playing with uh, Suzuki and Caulfield, of course. Uh, The change happened last game, and I understand Marty St. Louis for doing it. The Canadians had lost 6-2 in Ottawa last week on Thursday. They lost 9-4 in Boston. They play the Ottawa Senators. They lost last game. So at one point, Marty's trying to get something going. Slavkowski was on a little bit of a down in those three games, and he puts Josh Anderson there, but... Josh Anderson played with Suzuki and Caulfield during stints last season. It didn't work out. As a matter of fact, from a point production standpoint, it was very weak. From an analytics standpoint, it was even worse. They started the season together this year for the first three or four games. It didn't work out at all. From a point production, it wasn't good. From an analytics standpoint, it was even worse. And the game and a half that they've been together now, they haven't been able to do much. Now, Anderson didn't get a lot of playing time tonight because, of course, there were so many penalties in the game. So he got 12 away. But, you know, Pierre, you would think that with the ingredients of a playmaking center, a sniper on one wing in Caulfield, a big body in Anderson who can skate like the wind and has power and is a north-south kind of guy and can park himself in front of the net or can go into the corners and dig out pucks it's you would think it has the makings of something that can work my question to you is why doesn't it it's a good question i don't know the answer but i agree with everything you just said one of the things i like to do and i learned this again from different coaches that i've worked with over time show players a, a tape of players that maybe they could play like and it doesn't matter the era. So I, I look at Josh Anderson and I say, there's a player that I coach that's pretty similar. His name's Kevin Stevens. And he played in straight lines and he was a big guy. And he could, in those days, he could really skate. Um, and he was really strong. And you just talked, made a great turn, parked himself in front of the net. And he played with Mario um, and he played with Rick Tockett from time to time. And he played with Bob Airy. But it, one, the one thing that was common for him uh, after John Cullen got traded he played with Mario Lemieux all the time. And he was just told, go straight up and down your wing. I'll get you the puck. And when you're in the offensive zone, four-check hard, 
force turnovers, and then get to the net. It was really a simple formula, and I think that's they kind of have to simplify the game for Josh. I really believe that. And I think if they did that, um, he would be more productive. But tonight, he was a very efficient player because, as you said, he didn't get a lot of ice time, but he made things happen when he was on the ice. I think you're on to something when you say they probably have to simplify the game for him. Is it possible that they haven't done that yet, and the reason why it's not working is because his hockey IQ isn't quite at the same level as Suzuki's and Caulfield, so he's not thinking the same game or reacting to the game the way they are. Possible? That's very possible in terms of understanding the game. He understands it from a different level than they do, so he he understands going straight, going fast, going hard, and just finishing this check. Those guys can't. They were never raised that way. You know, Cole was not big enough to do that. And Nick's not big enough to do that. So they had to figure out a different way to survive in the league. So I think they process the game way different. I think that's a tremendous point by you, Tony. Mike Matheson, 26 minutes and 37 seconds. Yeah. When, um, when when people are talking about how the Montreal Canadiens can get better, they talk about players that could eventually end up being dealt. Uh, some are going to fetch more than others. We talked about Monaghan, and we think there's a pretty good market for him. Yeah. There's there's some contracts that are going to be up. Um, David Savard's contract will be up next year. Um, Christian Dvorak's contract will be up next year. UL Armia's contract will be up next year. You would think that these players will be moved. Jake Allen's contract will be up next year. You would think that he'll be moved, if not this year, next year. Mike Matheson still has a couple of years on that contract, but you take a look at Mike Matheson, who's clearly right now and even last season, the Montreal Canadiens' number one defenseman. Would you be tempted, Pierre, or would you say that blue line would be way too young without him and he's they're better off keeping him around for a couple of years to show the young guys the way? Um, I'm really biased, so I'm going to be totally transparent with you before I answer the question. I've known Mike since he played uh, for Lac St. Louis. Um, I was part of the group that helped him actually go to Boston College. Uh, Mike Cavanaugh and Greg Brown recruited him there for Jerry York. And uh, I can just tell you, you know, he's a tremendous person. He's an awesome player. He went back to Boston, just so people understand this, he went back to Boston College for his fourth year because he was named captain and he wanted to lead by example. He had so much pride in being a member of the Boston College Eagles, which is no small feat. And, and you, if you're named captain there, that's a big deal. It's a very big deal. Um, but, but here's the thing. When you have a player like that, Montreal, born and raised, bilingual, proud guy, he can sell your program, you don't want to get rid of that player. You want that guy to finish his career in Montreal and be really happy and sell the program to other players that may think coming to Montreal is difficult. And then you got a guy like Mike who says, no, it's awesome. Look at me. I grew up here. I started my career in Florida. I ended up going to Pittsburgh, and now I'm here, and I've never had a better time. I, I would be so uh, I think it'd be a really fundamentally flawed decision to move Mike Matheson. I really do for a lot of different reasons. Wow. Wow. So you're talking about not only not trading him, but when his contract is up, signing him to an extension to keep him here, like I you would, said, yeah. for the rest I, I of his think, career. And and I will tell you this, I think he'd give you a hometown discount. And I haven't spoken to him about it, but I just see the way he's playing. And I watched him in Florida. 
and I watched him in Pittsburgh. This is the most efficient he's ever played. They've clearly treated him with respect. That coaching staff really admires him. You can see the way they utilize him. And I think Mike has handled himself fantastically well in Montreal. Really, really. You know what I love about Mike? Obviously, I'm stating the obvious here is his skating ability. Uh, There's some guys, Pierre, that when they're 34, they're more like 38. I have a feeling that when Mike Matheson is going to be 34, he's going to be more like 32. So, and, and this is, people are going to laugh and say, oh, he's just old. Um, Scott Niedermeyer was that player. He was that player. And you can, I wish Lou Lamorello would stop by your studio. You could ask him. He was a general manager that drafted him uh, after San Jose made a terrible mistake and took Pat Falloon at two. And then New Jersey took Scott Niedermeyer at three. Um, wow. that, that's one of those draft mistakes that you can just continually quantify and say, what were you thinking? I was had Falloon scored 50 in junior hockey, Pierre? Had Falloon scored 50 in junior hockey? It's just crazy stuff. So I'm not saying Matheson is Niedermeyer, but that skating component is similar. And barring any long-term debilitating lower body injury, I don't think that's going to disappear from Mike. That's always been his calling card. He's an elite, elite skater. Uh, Brendan Gallagher. How many games you, th- well, you the NHL Department of Player Safety obviously will look at it, yeah. and uh, you know we both think they're going to come down. How many games do you think that I is? I think Pierre? it's going to be three to five games. I do. I, I Pierre Marty Saint Louis has done what a lot of coaches have done in the National Hockey League. We know it's easier to sit a younger player. We know it's easier to sit a lower profile player. We know it's easier to send a player down to the American Hockey League who probably isn't a, a very popular player or big-time player in that locker room. Mm-hmm. It's easier to send an Armia than it is to send a Jake Allen. We've talked about that. Mm-hmm. Um, if Arbor Jack guy would have taken that penalty, it's a hypothetical because it didn't happen, but I just I get the feeling, knowing what we know, that if Arbor Jack guy would have taken that penalty that Gallagher took, with the Canadians up 3-1 with 8.08 left in period number three, mm-hmm. where there's no need to take a penalty like that. And Gallagher, for whatever reason, did what he did. Um, when he ends up getting back in the lineup, let's just say after a possible suspension, should Marty St. Louis hold Brendan Gallagher to the same standard that he would a lesser profile player who, who would do something like that? He or will. does he close his eyes and say, no, I don't think so. I think what'll happen is Brendan will get brought in. The one thing that veteran presence gives you, it's not big, but it gives you something um, is you're probably going to have a meeting with the coach and you're not going to get undressed in front of the other guys. And um, it's going to be one of those heart-to-hearts where you can't do that. And if you do it again, I'm going to have to do something a little bit more draconian. Uh, but I, I don't think they're going to embarrass Brendan because he's been such a heart-and-soul player. I, I clearly don't know, and I don't think you know either, Tony, what he could have been thinking there. You're up 3-1. You, you're starting to lose momentum in the game because they're starting to push. And you're a veteran player, and you're out there for a reason. Your reason is not to take a major penalty. Um, and, and injure a, a guy that's just coming back from an injury. So the league's going to look at all this stuff. It it wasn't good. It, that, that whole optic wasn't good at all. And um, 
it, it's hard to talk about it because I like Brendan so much, but it's the fact is he did what he did. And yeah. I'll, I'll be really surprised if he's not suspended. If it's hard to talk about that, it'll probably be even harder to talk about what I'm going to bring up next, Pierre, because since we're on the topic of Brendan Gallagher, he's got four years left on a contract of $6.5 million. With all due respect for him, we know that, you know, that contract is not tradable. Um, at the same time, the Canadians have talked about accelerating the rebuild. Well, when you have a contract like that, it handcuffs you, right? So if you didn't have that contract, you can accelerate the rebuild. And when you have a contract like that, your hands are tied. We all know that the only way you can end up trading a Brendan Gallagher is maybe taking another bad contract and return and hoping that whoever you get back will prosper here. How would you handle his situation? Well, the one thing you can do is you can trade money now. So you could eat money on Gallagher's contract. Now, it'd be dead cap space for you, but you can do that, which you couldn't do at the beginning, but you can do it now um, when the cap system came in. You know, you'd have to talk to his agent, too, and, and see. But it's not an easy one to deal with. I, I remember with our good friend Mitch Melnick, when that contract was signed, I said, well, you better hope that he stays healthy. And you better hope you can get close to 12 goals a year because if not, it's going to be an unbelievably difficult contract to deal with. And, you know, we're finding out that it is. But I think with players like that, they earn a lot of respect, like in my opinion anyways. And I really respect the player. I respect the way he carried himself throughout his entire career in Montreal. And uh, I broadcast a lot of his games when he was younger, and that guy – he laid it out there. I still can't believe he's playing in the league for the size that he is and the way that he played. I really can't. Um, he, he's, he's done a lot of great things for that organization, you know? Pierre, uh, I won't keep you much longer, and thanks so much for your time, but I want to talk about Samuel Montembeau, who had a real off night, uh, his last game in Boston. There haven't been too many of those, Pierre. He's played really, really well and really? battled. When you take a look at number one goalies in the National Hockey League, and you probably have a chart yourself from 1 to 10 and 10 to 20 and 20 to 30, in which category is Montembeau for he's you? He's below the 10, but he's still good. Like, he's, he's in that next group. He is. You know, you, you look at the different guys. So most people in Montreal don't get to see Thatcher Demko play very often. Thatcher Demko is the real deal. He, he's really good. I don't know how much people talk about him. I don't know how much people talk about John Gibson in Anaheim. Um, he, he's really good. I don't know how much people talk about Jake Ottinger in Dallas. Um, you know, again, I don't know how much people talk about Connor Hellebuck. Uh, there, there's a lot. I mean, you look at some of the guys that are playing, and they're playing at a real high level. Um, I, he's just in that next category. I, I wouldn't say he's further than that, but he's just in yeah. that next category down. Sorokin's really good too. Well, Sorokin's good. Varlamov good. Shesterkin is good. I mean, you yeah. can start looking around the league. I mean, it's Vasilevsky's pretty darn good, Tony. I mean, Bobrovsky's yeah. had a tremendous. Bobrovsky's had a tremendous year in Florida. He's really been good. And the two guys in Boston, uh, Swayman and Olmark. I mean. They're outstanding. Tony, that's yeah. the So I'd say the two best tandems in the league, well, they're three really good tandems. I'm sorry. I hate to keep skipping around, but they're three really good ones. The Smith and Demko in Vancouver, Varlamov and Sorokin in New York. 
Um, and then you got the guys in Boston, Swayman and Allmark. I mean, those those three tandems are the three best tandems in the league, in, in my opinion. Pierre, Jeff Gordon was on with our buddy Mitch Melnick a couple of days ago, and Mitch brought up the fact that Montembeau called out his teammates after the loss in Boston on Saturday night and said they gave up. Team gave up. And, uh, of course, Montembeau gave up eight goals on that night. And Nick Suzuki took exception to it and said, no, we didn't give up. And Pierre said to Jeff Gordon, he said, well, you can sense a little bit of tension there. Can you, can you sense it? And he said, yeah, you know, watching practice earlier today, and this is going back a couple of days, and it was before the Ottawa game, of course. He says, yeah, he goes, I can sense the tension. Marty St. Louis was asked about it, and he said, well, I, I don't know the tension that Jeff is talking about. I mean, I should ask him about it because I don't know what he's talking about. What tension do you think he was talking about? So I'm going to give you a quick story from when I was coaching in the league. I remember we were playing the Boston Bruins in the Eastern Conference Final, and the only people allowed into this meeting were the coaches and the players. Um, no trainers, not nobody else just no management, just the people involved with the everyday um, playing in that playoff series. And the meeting started with Joe Mullen speaking. And Joe Mullen never really spoke. He was just a leader on the ice. He was an unbelievable offensive player and a leader. And he said, fellas, I went to Boston College. I grew up in New York City. Um, we're down to nothing in this series. And the way we fell behind in this series, I'm really embarrassed. I'm really, really embarrassed. And and I'm going to point at myself and say, I didn't do nearly enough. And as soon as he said that, Kevin Stevens got really upset. And he goes, wait a second. I went to Boston College. I grew up in Boston. I went to, I grew up in Brockton, Brockton, Massachusetts. He goes, I've done worse. And so you talk about this tension that happens. Kevin was saying, wait a second. I played worse than you. So don't you be talking in our dressing room. You know, I was trapped. I was traded to this team just like you. And so anyways, the point is, is that sometimes stuff gets said in the dressing room. That's not always so bad. We, we ended up coming back and winning that series. We won four straight games in that series. And I think you saw what happened today. Montembeau in the first five minutes of that game, Tony, he was good. He was really good, I thought. And, and you said yeah. something at the start of our hit. He set, he uh, set the tone early in the game with I those two he, stops that he made. Did. So yeah. Sometimes guys say stuff, and then they have to wear it. And when they wear it, they show up and they play even better. And I thought he showed up, he wore it, and he played even better. And he gave his team a chance to win. And obviously, they went up 3 nothing. But if you go watch the tape of that first five minutes of that game tonight, Montreal should have been down a couple goals. So I, I give Montembeau a lot of credit. All right, so the Canadians have uh, the Penguins in Pittsburgh on Saturday night, and after that, they're going to be off for some time, of course. They got their bye. Um, what's the first, you know, when the coaches sit down, what's the first thing that they want to tackle here Penalties. during that bye week? Oh, I, I think, uh, well, the bye week, I don't know. They're probably some of them will go away. I would imagine they'll go yeah. evaluate what's going on in Laval. Um, but I would say it's probably important for them to rest a little bit too. They, they're, I don't think people realize the life of a coach. It's those guys earn their money. They really do. Um, I, I'd say the one thing though, going into the Pittsburgh series or game, uh, that you can't, even though Pittsburgh's power play is atrocious, it's so bad. Uh, you can't take penalties. You just, you can't, 
the Gallagher penalties graphic, you know, the Jack Eye two penalties are graphic. You just you can't do that, especially when your team that is a little more offensively challenged like the Canadians are. They came up with a heroic effort tonight, especially when you consider their last few games. I mean, the game in Boston, the third period was a disaster. The game against Ottawa the other night was brutal and I thought they really gave a good showing to their fans and to their to their management team and their coaching staff tonight. All right. So Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Jake Gensel, Eric Carlson, and let's say Brian Rust. Can you tell me why Pittsburgh's power play is so awful? You know what? It's amazing, and it really is bad. What are they, 30th in the league right now? Depending yeah. on the day, they could be 30th, 29th, or 28th, but they're not better than 28th, and they're not worse than 30, and it's just scary to think about. Um, it's hard to say. I, I know Todd Reardon runs the power play there, um, and I just he never had a problem with it before, but for whatever reason, the power play is just not working. The Tampa Bay power play is amazing to watch. And I think Kucherov shoots the puck harder every year. It's unbelievable. Did you, did you see the goal Stamco scored tonight on the power play? It was a Kucherov goal. I, I did not. I saw the Braden. I saw the Kucherov goal. It's funny you say this. I saw the Kucherov goal on the one-timer on the power play. And I saw a Braden Point picking up a pass down the left side. And, and with a quick wrist shot, I saw his. So I saw those two goals, but I didn't see the Stamco's goal. Oh, so Kucherov has a puck in uh, the right corner of the ice, and he passes across ice, and Stamkos gets it and just rifles it short side. I'm telling you, it's a thing of beauty. It's it's amazing. Not a lot of guys can do that. I mean, it's just that the, the power play that I think people don't realize is really good is New Jersey's. New Jersey, when they have Hughes, uh, Jack Hughes, um, that power play is amazingly dynamic. You're talking about a power play that's running anywhere from 28% to 31%. It's it's pretty scary to watch that power play in New Jersey when everybody's healthy. Wow. Um, yeah, I like the Tamp Tampa Bay one. They have so many set plays on that power play. One is Hedman to Kucherov right away, who, who's looking like he's going to um, hold on to the puck, but he makes a quick pass to, to, to point in the bumper. And he goes with the one, like they have so many plays that they use, so many set plays. It's pretty good. Mind you, the Canadians power play, once again, was pretty good tonight. It's 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 been up and down all season. It's been a roller coaster. Uh, Pierre, and I'll end it with this. The Canadians power play, we know the Canadians have an average team um, because of the rebuild. And we know that it was going to be difficult because of the injuries they had. They already lacked depth to begin with, and then you have injuries and you lack even more. So the power play, if you're running a hot power play, that could be you know the difference between getting the points or not getting the points. When the power play doesn't do well, some will say, yeah, but there's not enough horses on the power play. The Canadians are missing a couple of players on that power play. With the personnel as you know it, at what percentage do you think would realistically the Canadians power play should be running? Uh, 22 to 23. I think, you know, Cole Caulfield is a great power play player um, with big body presence, whether it's Slavkoski or Josh Anderson, they should have great slot presence, much like what Kreider does for the New York Ranger power play. Uh, Suzuki is a deft passer and a good finisher too. Um, I think where they have a little bit of a stalling problem is up high. And it's not because Mike can't do it, Mike Matheson. It's not because he can't do it. It's just it's a different role for him. Um, 
I think things from Montreal's power play will change Tony significantly when Lane Hudson gets there. Um, I watch him a lot. It's a, by the way, your, your viewers need to know this. This weekend will be an amazing weekend of hockey in the Boston area. Uh, you got BC and BU playing um, back to back, and that's going to be wow. a huge thing. And so prospects galore, especially obviously Macklin Celebrini, um, but you know, all those first round picks over at Boston College and Jacob Fowler, the goalie at Boston College. I watched him play last Sunday against Merrimack. He was phenomenal. He's a Canadian's draft draft pick. You got Tuck and, and uh, Hudson over at Boston University. Then you got Harvard and Cornell tomorrow night. And then you got Harvard and Colgate on Saturday night. It's it's a big hockey weekend here for a lot. This place will be overwhelmed with uh, amateur scouts uh, in Boston this weekend, just for people to understand how big a weekend it is here. Give me hockey trivia for $500, Alex. Who will be at the BC versus BU games all weekend? Answer, Pierre Maguire. <laughs> no, I'm gonna I'm gonna be at a bunch of different places. I'm gonna I'm gonna see a lot of games. So I know that um, I'm actually going to Dartmouth Colgate tomorrow. Uh, I'm gonna be watching. Obviously, my son's team play. But there's a goalie at Dartmouth. He's six foot eight, and uh, he's caught wow. everybody's attention around the hockey world. And it's gonna be interesting to see whether he goes back to school or signs. Um, and Cornell's got a tremendous team, and I know a lot of scouts are coming in to watch Cornell play at Harvard and then up at Dartmouth. So everybody's going to be, like, passing each other, Tony. It's going to be pretty That's neat. pretty awesome. Pierre, yeah. uh, I took you away from watching some of the late-night games here. I, I know yeah. you're going to go back and watch them until they're yeah. over. Thanks for doing this, Pierre. really appreciate it. This was, uh, this was candy tonight. Thank you. You know, I'll always be there for you, Tony. I'm, I'm really proud of you, and keep up the good work. I know everybody in Montreal loves listening to you. Keep it up. Thank you very much, Pierre, and they love listening and now watching you as well. There you have it, <laughs> co-host of the SICK podcast, uh, The Eye Test with Jimmy Murphy. Yeah. And uh, keep it up yourself as well, Pierre. Take care. Thank you. See you, Tony. All right, there you have it. Pierre McGuire. Uh, it's now time for your calls. You call. Presented by Playground. All right. So you called is brought to you by Playground. I'm either going to do this one of two ways here. Either I'm going to take one or two calls and then we can call this one a night at one triple eight five eight five seven four two five. Or if a bunch of you jump on the line at the same time, I might do speed calls the way people do speed dating. And I might take four or five. Right away, you know, you, you call, boom, 60 seconds, boom, 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 and we do it that way. You tell me, it all depends on the quality of the calls. So make sure it's good. Look, I, I know a lot of you want to talk about Patrick Watts. Funny, because earlier today, you know, the Sick Podcast on our Twitter account, and I hope that you're following us on our Twitter account, the Sick Podcast. If you haven't already, please do. We put out a question basically saying, if you could write a movie script on how you would want the game to go tonight, how would you want it to go? And there were so many funny answers. Um, there were some that were saying that uh, you would have Ronald Corey and Mario Trombley sitting right behind the New York Islanders bench. Some of you said that, um, you know, the Islanders goalie would be kept in goal for nine goals and then come out and demand the trade out of New York. 
Uh, some of you said that uh, Patrick would give up a lot of goals and his team would give up a lot of goals and he would say, it's my last game coaching the New York Islanders. There were a lot of funny ones. So you know what? There was so much participation. I would imagine it was a special day in Montreal. It was a special night. It was a special game that had everything. Um, Sean Monaghan bailed out Brendan Gallagher tonight. So did Samuel Montembeau. And so did the post with about seven or eight seconds left. Where are we going here? We go to. I I Sam, Sam. Sam, how are you? Good, good. I want to tell you, first of all, I've been listening to you for this whole season, but I'm usually too tired at this time of night to call in. But I'm a real big fan of the show. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. What's on your mind? Yeah. Um, so I enjoyed the game a lot tonight. I didn't know that Slavkovsky was not going to be on the first line until I started watching the game. Um, yeah, he was taken off last uh, game. Oh, he was taken off last game? He was taken off, yeah. Well, at one point last game, they were they were down early to the Ottawa Senators, and Marty St. Louis tried to get them going, and uh, he slotted uh, Slavkovsky down and brought Anderson up. I I wanted to mention, because I know you have a lot of people watching, that, that game versus Boston, I still believe that because he got hit hard in the helmet. Nobody's really talking about that. I think that's why Monty had that bad game. Well, there's no doubt that Monty was not at 100% during that game. As a matter of fact, at one point he was slouched down and it looked like he was in a little bit of pain. But yes, he did take a shot off the helmet in that game as well. And um, uh, yeah, but at the same time, you know, he got no support from the Canadians who just were a defensive mess. And uh, look, I mean, it all depending which way you look at it, uh, Pierre Maguire said it's Gallagher's penalty that brought the Islanders back in this hockey game. And he's right. Uh, but it was also Montembeau who made a ton of stops. I mean, the Canadians are outshot by 20 shots tonight. 20 shots, 46 to 26. And it's not like, I mean, the Islanders were, were peppering some pretty good shots at Montembeau as well. This guy made some big saves. I thought he set the tone early on in the hockey game where uh, he stopped Barzell in close where he extended his left leg and made a huge stop. And the rebound comes out. And he makes a glove save off of Lee. Bang, bang. Two huge stops. If the Islanders score the first goal of the hockey game with everything we saw in the ovation for Patrick Waugh during the national anthem, it's probably a different game. Instead, Montembeau gives himself confidence and his teammates confidence for making those two big stops. And then in the span of six or seven minutes or whatever it is, the Canadians score three goals. Yes, yes. I uh, I want to see a lot of him. I know we have a three goalie system, but I I wish they could um put him in more than they do. I know it's not going to happen, yeah. but he's really good. Well, yeah, but he's here to stay. And if you want to trade, he's here to stay, though. And if you want to trade one of the two other goaltenders, you actually should hope for the opposite and that the Canadians play the other guys a little bit more. Unless you think Montembeau can get you in the playoffs, and I, for one, don't think the Montreal Canadiens are making the playoffs this year. And as a matter of fact, the more Montembeau plays, the more points he's going to steal them, the way he did a year ago, and the further away they got from the number one pick. I don't hold it against Montembeau, of course. He's just doing his job. But that's the way I see it. What can I tell you? 
Joe is online too. Thank you for the call. Joe, how are you? Joe, are you there? Yes, I am. How are you, Tony? Very good. How are you? Good, thanks. Tony, just a fast oh, comment. It's not Joe. This is Joe. Pardon me? I said, this is not Joe. This is Joel. This is Joel Kravitz. This is me, sir. Yes, sir. What's on your mind, my man? Here's a story. I do not understand why they are putting Josh on the line with the first line trio. I, you know, if you want to make people valuable, it's almost as if they're trying to trade Josh Anderson, because if it were myself, I would have put Sean Monahan on that first line if they're really serious about trading him at all. doesn't make sense what they're doing. At the same time, how many players do they have that they could put at the center ice position, Joel? You know what, Tony? I don't know. It's, they could let them bring somebody else up. It doesn't matter who they bring up. The year's going to be shut, anyways. If they're planning, not that, not that, they, not that they, not that they, that they do anyway, type of thing. Because of course, you have uh, you have Evans centering a lot. Well, you have Evans centering a line. Let's bring up the lines. Let's bring up the lines, right? Can we bring up the lines? Okay, we probably can't we bring up the lines right now while we're taking a call. I don't know if we can or not. So I'll bring them up. Hold on a second, just over here. So we can see the different scenarios where you can play Monahan. So Monahan centering the second line with Armia and Slavkovsky. Uh, Evans is centering the third line with Gallagher and Pearson. And Condado was centering the fourth line with Avi Pernard and Pizzetta. If you move Monahan, like you said, to right wing on that number one line, you have... Evans, who can stay where he is. Condotta, who can stay where he is. But who's going to end up centering that number two line? Let him bring up Stevens. Who cares? Now, you're a shot anyway, Tony. If you're planning on trading him, then the only way to make him more valuable than he is now is to put him on the first line. I don't care what you say. Because I'll, yes, I'll there's a challenge, though, Joel. And I'll tell you what the challenge is. Is that Jeff Gordon and Kent Hughes um, probably... Look, they all, Gordon Hughes and St. Louis all want to make the playoffs. And even though the Canadians are in rebuild, I can tell everyone watching right now on YouTube Live, on Facebook Live, and on Twitter Live that this management team, without saying it, because they don't want to, you know, without saying it, the goal was to make the playoffs this year. Like they really want to make the playoffs. And when they lose games, they're pissed off. Believe, believe me when I tell you that. But right now, they're probably looking at it more realistically and saying, okay, we're not going to make the playoffs this year. And maybe they'd want to do what you want to do, Joel. But then they have to go up to their coach and they have to tell them, look, put Monahan on your first line. Uh, put Evans on your second. Uh, keep Condotta on the fourth. Bring up Mitchell Stevens. Put him on the third. Whatever. The coach is not going to want, Joel. Coach is not going to want. He's going to say, hey. I want to win hockey games and make the playoffs. Are you telling me this is the way I'm going to do it? That's the challenge, Joel. But, but he has zero chemistry, Anderson, on that line. But zero chemistry. And it's like, you know, the, the definition of stupidity is the inane ability to do the same thing over and over and over again when it's not working. That makes zero sense. If you can't use Anderson, then find someone else. If you don't want to use Monahan, get him off the line. And also, Tony, one more point I want to make. I was just fantasizing about a trade. You know, the rumors have been going around for the past week and the Canadians rebuffed them in terms of uh, uh, Harvard Jack guy being traded. One of those teams are talking to is about Philadelphia. If the rumors were true, Tony, would you entertain a trade, something like this? I don't know if Philadelphia would, but you would entertain a, a trade possibility. 
Arbor Jacki, Florian Jacki, shipped to Philadelphia for Cutter, uh, Cutter Gauthier, Matthew Mitchcock, and you throw in a third defenseman, you throw in Matthias Norlander into that trade as well, <clears throat> and a second-round draft choice for that. Would you do that sort of a trade? You know where Cutter Gauthier is right now? Mm, educate me. He's in Anaheim because he was traded there a couple of weeks ago for Jamie Drysdale. Oh, geez, I forgot. You're right. Yeah. Don't worry about it, Joel. Joel, you're always a good call. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. We're going to finish the night with Sal on line three. Sal, how are you? Sal, are you there? Hey, Tony. How are you tonight? I'm very good. How are you? Good. Thank you. I'm calling from Connecticut. I'm I try to listen to your show either every night or my morning commute. So really enjoyed you doing a great job. I really appreciate it. You know what? Um, I think it's look, I think it's pretty cool when people call and they say, I'm calling from Connecticut. I listen to your show. I watch your show. I'm calling from New Zealand. I'm calling from Mexico. I'm calling from Germany. I'm calling from Israel. Um, We have people listening and watching from all over the world. As a matter of fact, we're charted. I think in about 30, 40 different countries, uh, people are actually listening and watching the sick podcast. It's pretty cool. I really thank you for doing that. It means a lot to me. Go ahead, Sal. I was a big fan of yours when you were on regular radio anyway. But listen, there's two things. You talked to Pierre about Josh Anderson, right? And I've been watching yeah. him. I've been a fan since since 75. That's how, that's how old I am. But um, yeah. Josh Anderson, to me, drives me insane, right? So you've got the lightning speed. He's a big, strong body. He, but you know, you, you see it, Tony. You're a smart guy. Very little vision. And what when you asked him, Pierre, about why it doesn't work on a power play when you've got a setup guy like Suzuki and a sniper like Caulfield, Josh Anderson doesn't win one-on-one battles. He doesn't use the leverage. He, he, that's what drives you crazy. So much potential. But if you look, just count how many times he loses 50-50 battles on the board. It drives me nuts. If I could get, last year I would have traded him for a first round pick or anything I could have got that's reasonable, I would do it again this year. Like I would put him on my, my list when I call the other GM and say, yep, he's, he's available. Give me your offer. It's, Sal, it's about the second, it's about the second effort yes. and it's about to compete. And you know what? When Josh Allen, uh, when Josh, Josh Allen, when Josh Anderson has it, um, He's very difficult to contain. Unfortunately, very unfortunately for Canadians fans, he brings that effort and that compete every fourth game. It's like Armia who brings it every sixth game. And that's the difference between the best players in the league and the guys who will look back one day and say, you know what, I, I, I think I shortchanged myself. I could have been much more is, is the consistency in bringing it every night. And Josh Anderson is, is, you know, with the exception of that one season when he scored 27, he's just more often than not. He just, uh, he can't bring it every night. And sometimes he can't even bring it every other game. And sometimes he can't bring it every third game. And it's too bad because there's a lot of tools that are there. Yes, the hockey IQ is a, is maybe a notch below. His passing ability is maybe a, a, a notch below. Uh, but, you know, he... Uh, he's fast. He's big. He's strong. Yeah. Uh, he does have he does have his qualities for, for sure. Hey, one quick other one other quick question yeah. for you. Yeah, okay. I know draft philosophy. Best player available. I understand it. 
you know, when Bergevin was there, we made a mistake that year. We got beat up pretty bad in the playoffs. He went out the next year and got Mike McCarron, right? And as you yeah. know, for the big body, we got tossed around. But this year, Tony, knowing Celebrini is like, head, it looks like head and shoulders above, right? I'm like everybody else. I don't, I go to a few college games here, Quinnipiac and some of them in my area. But yeah. I got to believe this year, Hughes and companies have to weaponize some of the draft picks or some of the young D and you got to go after not the best player available, but the best forward available for at least the first three picks. We are so shallow in our forward. So what do you think? Do you think it's at least reasonable to go for the best forward available? Cause it's a very well, defensive heavy draft. Are, are, hold on a second. Are, okay. Let's just say, what, what are you talking about? Let's just, you're, are you talking about if the Canadians have the 12th pick to end up trading another pick and that pick and maybe, and trying to get into the top five? Is that what you're, what you're saying? At least take an asset or two. And if, if they've got somebody like, I would like the scouting department to look at the, let me three or four forwards that they target, right. Depending how the draft yeah. goes, right. Then you say, yes, you know what? I'm going to take my first from this year and maybe a second yeah. rounder and I have to toss in maybe a Sean Farrell or somebody else or maybe a young defenseman. And I want to go after this guy because I think he has a chance. You've got to now, like he did that, right? He did that for, for Kirby Doc. He took Romanov and the 13th pick. He made it into Doc, right? That was a great one. I know Hughes was very good at that. I'm really hoping that when they, if they do that this year, they do it for a, at least a top five forward. It would help us so much. We need that. We need. We don't need quantity. We need high-end quality. Okay. At the same time, I'm going to take a look at this. So what I'm going to do right now, I'm on my laptop, and I'm going to go to the standings, okay? I'm going to go to the league overall, all right? Okay. So let's go here. Should have it here. Okay. So let's go here. All right. The Montreal Canadiens right now, as we speak, yeah. they're 26th out of 32. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh worst record in the National Hockey League. Okay? They got one point more than Buffalo. I personally yeah. believe that Buffalo will finish ahead of the Canadians. Okay? I agree. They have nine points ahead of Ottawa, who have four games in hand. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Call me crazy. I, I, I believe the Ottawa Senators are going to finish with more points than the Canadians. Okay? I, so I at that point... Yep. I'll tell you who will not finish with more points than the Canadians. San Jose, Chicago, Anaheim, and Columbus. Those four teams right. will not finish with more points than the Montreal Canadiens. At very worst, I think the Canadians are going to finish sixth last. And at best, I think they're going to finish fifth last. Right. So, so, so you know, they're not going to, they're not, they're not going to be, they're not going to be 11th or 12th where, or at least I don't think so anyway, that you can have to make a trade to enter the top five. They're going to be there. They're going to be knocking on the door. You know, I, I hope you're absolutely right, Tony. But you know how the draft lottery, if you go down a couple slots, right, if you've got uh, the, the Russian, you've got a couple of other guys, uh, Carly Barkman, I mean, some of these guys that are like good, solid centermen, right-hand shots. Yeah. I know you don't usually target, but that's what I'm saying, is if we fall down for some reason, we get a lousy draft, Right. And we that's what I'm really hoping. Okay. At least don't, we have so no, I, I agree with you a thousand. Energy. So I agree with you a thousand percent. Chances are the probabilities are that the top five picks are when you get your best players. OK, today, right, right now, today, right yep. now. Yep. Who are the Montreal Canadiens two best forwards? 
uh, Caulfield and Suzuki right now. Correct. So Suzuki went 13 overall to Vegas and Caulfield went 15 overall to the Canadians. The moral of the story is, even though I'll always say, yes, I'd always want to be in a position where I can pick top five myself. It's about picking the right ones when you're called. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. We have Rich. Give us a like, by the way, if you like the podcast right now. I'm going overtime. I'm going overtime right now. I'm 11 minutes into overtime here, but I like the flow of the show. I like the way it's going, and I'm going to keep on going. At one point, I might have to go to the bathroom, but you know what? Uh, it's not happening right now. That's why I stopped drinking water in the last five minutes. But anyway, let's go to Rich. If you like it, like it, share with your friends. Comment sick, S-I-C-K, S-I-C-K. Don't forget to subscribe. Tell all your friends about our YouTube channel. It's absolutely free to sign up and subscribe. Let's go. Tell your friends. Rich, what's hey, going how on? How you doing, Tony? I'm very good. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. I, uh, I'm a big fan of yours. I discovered you uh, during the Stanley Cup final run a couple of years ago. And uh, thank you. And uh, dur- during the year that followed, that was very painful. You were the, uh, the one shining. Uh, the, the one good part of that was uh, listening to you rant after each Canadian's loss. So I appreciate you thank taking you, my Rich. call. But I usually don't get thank to you, Rich. Thank you, Rich. I appreciate that. What's on your mind, my man? Where are you calling me from? I'm calling you from Kitchener, Ontario. Kitchener, Ontario. Fantastic. Yes. That's it. Okay. What's on That's your mind, it. Rich? Well, I was, uh, I'm about your age. I just turned 50. And uh, like you, yeah. I, I remember the 93 Stanley Cup finals like it was yesterday. And Patrick Waugh, obviously, was a, a big part of that. It was good to see him back tonight. And I saw the video montage. And part of that was the last game where he went up to Ronald Corey, of course, and told him he wasn't going to play for him anymore. And it reminded me of something I heard a few months ago. I was listening to, uh, it was the wildest thing I've ever heard. I was listening to uh, the Spit and Chicklets podcast, and it's an episode, if anybody wants to watch it, it's titled Fighting Patrick Waugh with Mike Vernon. And they interview Mike Vernon, and they, they bring him yeah. on at about the two-hour mark, and he tells a story of he comes to Montreal to play a game against Canadians at the Forum, and he does the morning skate at the Forum, and he goes by himself to a, a cafe not far from the arena to have some breakfast. And he says he walks in the door, and the first guy he sees is Patrick Waugh sitting at the counter by himself, also having breakfast. And he says Waugh sees him, calls him over, sits him down, and he says Waugh starts unburdening himself and saying, the fans are all over me, the media is all over me, I can't take it, I'm miserable, I'm going to quit hockey. (laughs) And Vernon tells him, you can't quit, you're the best player in the league. I was in the same position as you were in Calgary. Do what I do, get traded. That was the night of the game where he lets in the nine goals. And he tells Ronald Corey that he's done playing. So when he started that game that very night, he still had that conversation in his mind. And then Trombley lets him in there for the nine goals. And it just, it just fast. I heard that. I couldn't believe it. I never heard that story uh, before. I never heard that story before, and uh, if that was, I I missed that episode. Um, I watch every now and then, of course. It's a quality podcast, but um, that's a crazy story. That's a crazy story. It is. It's it's like I said, it's called uh, Fighting Patrick Waugh with Mike Vernon, and he also tells that same story. He does, Gino Retta has a podcast that he does now, too, and he interviewed Mike Vernon after the, just after the Hall of Fame thing. He tells that story in that, in that one too. He, he says that he, he didn't say anything about it for like 10, 15 years. And he just brought it up out of the blue to Kelly Rudy and, and Elliot Friedman like a number of years ago. And they, they looked at him like he was 
what what's the story like they looked at him like he was crazy and yeah for anybody it, it's wild so if anybody wants to listen to it that's where you can find it it's about like i said it's about the two hour mark is where is where they bring vernon on it's one of the first things he starts talking about was that awesome that story of that night it was good to see Patrick tonight, though, eh? behind the bench and, um, you know, his reaction when they scored the goal to narrow the lead to 3-2 and especially his reaction when they tied the game at three. He he wanted this one big time. And uh, you know what? If there's one game where some Canadians fans actually wouldn't mind if their team would have lost, it probably would have been tonight because I'm sure that there were a lot of people in that building that wanted the New York Islanders to win this hockey game tonight for Patrick Roy. Um Oh, I, didn't happen, I thought, they, I didn't thought they would for sure. I thought the Islanders would win it for him tonight before the game even started. But uh, it was I, for for when Gallery took that penalty, I thought this is it. We're going to blow the two goal lead, and and uh, we're either going to lose in overtime, or we're going to lose before overtime. So it was you know it was nice I, they didn't. I, but uh, I thought it was going to be a one goal game. I thought it was going to be three two or four three. And I thought it was the Islanders that were going to be on top. And in the end, it was the Montreal Canadiens. Thanks for your call. This was a great call. Thank you so much. Where are we going now? Thank you, Tony. You're very welcome. Uh, okay, so you know what? I I, I think we're done. I, I'm pretty happy with the podcast tonight. I hope you liked it as much as I enjoyed it. Special thanks to Pierre Maguire. It's always a treat to talk to Pierre. Pierre is one of those guests where... You know, you start talking, and he starts talking, and then all of a sudden... You look and you're like 45 minutes into the show. Whereas, but it felt like it was 22 minutes into the show. It just time flies when you're having fun. And I have a lot of fun with Pierre Maguire. I hope you enjoyed it as well. It was um, a real big game tonight at, uh, you know, in Montreal. The Canadians win by a score of four to three. They grab a three nothing lead in period number one. Uh, the Islanders, um, try and get back into that hockey game. Uh, Gallagher takes a terrible penalty with about eight minutes and eight seconds left. In case you missed it, he got his elbow up. It's a headshot to Pellet. She got five in a game. Folks, that was a cheap hit. That was a dirty hit. That was an illegal hit. And Brendan Gallagher deserves to be suspended for that one. And he will be suspended. Let's, let's, let's call a spade a spade here. You know, you, can, you would say it if it was another team. Uh, and you're most of you watching are Montreal Canadiens fans. I think everyone, uh, I think, can admit that that was that's illegal, and that's suspendable. And um, I, I'd give Brendan Gallagher four games for that. I would give him four games for that. Let's see what happens. You know, with the NHL uh, Department of uh, of Player Safety, Samuel Montembeau, the Canadiens get outshot 46-26 by uh, the NHL uh, stat sheet here. And Montembeau stands on his head. And I guess, you know, even though Patrick Waugh didn't win behind the bench for the New York Islanders, uh, I guess if you think about it, it's kind of fitting that on a night when Patrick Waugh is in the building, um, there were ghosts that came out. A post played a role in the game and a Montreal Canadiens goaltender from the province of Quebec stood on his head. He started the game strong, and he ended it strong. And he stopped as many shots as he stopped. Samuel Montembeau, I think it's pretty fitting that he played the way he played 
with Patrick Waugh in the building. Tell your friends about it, the sick podcast. We're on YouTube to watch us on YouTube, uh, Twitter, Facebook. We want them to subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's important for us. We're trying to build this every day. Uh, it's a little bit easier at the beginning. Um, absolutely free. And if you're going to listen to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. It's our way of feeling the love. For Agnello, Sammy, and Juliana Master Control, we want to thank Energy Transportation Group. We want to thank Playground. We want to thank Labita TB. And we want to thank Accent Insurance Solutions. Hey, why don't I give you um, an Accent Insurance moment of the game? Accent Insurance moment of the game. Uh, I would say it was the ovation to Patrick Waugh, but the game hadn't started yet, right? So that was kind of like a pregame and not a game. Um, there's two ways we can go about this here. We can either go with Brendan Gallagher's penalty, which leads to two near caught in their goals, and they end up tying it. But ultimately, I think we got to go with the game-winning goal. Sean Monaghan scores late in this hockey game. The Montreal Canadiens end up winning by a score of 4-3. to three. The moment of the game has to be that Engvall turnover, which gets picked off by Caulfield to Josh Anderson. We talked about his passing ability, which isn't great. He made a great pass. And Sean Monaghan wires one. And Sean Monaghan picks up three points. The Accent Insurance Solutions moment of the game was the game-winning goal by Sean Monaghan which all starts with an Engvall turnover and once again, Caulfield to Anderson to Monaghan. There you have it. Save the date. Save the date now. Saturday, February 17th, Sammy Cavallaro, my buddy at Master Control, who's at Sammy's Valentine's Gala, give or take for the last, I, I don't know, 17 or 18 years or whatever it was, which uh, took a little bit of a hiatus during uh, COVID for a couple of years there. Well, uh, there will be another charity night, another benefit night with all proceeds donated to Cure SMA Canada, spinal muscular atrophy, that is. Uh, Sammy's first annual poker tournament, folks. So Sammy's going to be there, Agnello's going to be there, and I'm going to be there. Save the date, February 17th at 6 p.m. at Playground. All right. Uh, we'll have more information over the next couple of days regarding ticket information and all that stuff for you. And so once again, that's it for us. Had a good time. I hope you did too. For Niello, Sammy, Juliana, Master Control, they're Cavallaro. I'm Tony Marinaro. That's me. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground, your premier gaming destination.